Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, a special one-on-one episode with myself and Steve Simon. We discuss Lomography, doing more with less, making the most of one light source, and the current object of my desire, the Nikon D7000. It's Sunday, October 3rd, 2010, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show is just one guy, and his name is Steve Simon. Steve Simon and I are going to have a one-on-one, mano-a-mano discussion about a couple of interesting things around photography. Hey, Steve. Hello, 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 hello. You can hear the <laughs> echo because it's just us. It's, it's, it's just quiet. It's you and I. It's inside the actor studio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, twip unplugged. Yeah, sure. I love it. This is awesome. This is going to be cool. Uh, we got lots of stuff to talk about. And uh, what, first of which is what have you been up to? Because you, again, you are like every now and then you pop up. You're like a weed in the yard. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I miss you guys, but thank you for that analogy. I thank appreciate you. That. Of course, That's, you're a weed. Uh, you're you're a nice you're weed, love, though. You're pretty you're weed. Love that people like the weed, apparently. But anyway, <laughs> I uh, no, I've, I I'm not here enough. I I love being on Twip, as you know. I was on the absolute inaugural first episode back in the. 60s. I think you were in grade three at the time when Twip first came out. I wasn't born yet, actually. I don't think you were born yet, <laughs> but uh, we were hoping you would be um, arriving soon. Yes. But uh, I don't get I don't get often enough. I'm always listening in. I, I love talking about photography and uh, sharing the passion with everybody. So I'm glad we're here at least. And uh, so you asked me what I've been doing. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm always kind of busy. I mean, I'm I'm not shooting enough. Like so many. In quotation marks, I'm doing my finger quotes, professional photographers. It's the one weak link in my, in my weekly grind, and that is, you know, shooting enough. But I was recently out at the Maui Photo Festival uh, teaching out there, and, you know, not oh. hard to do in Maui. I've never been there I'm before. So jealous! I'm so I've been to Maui before, but I've never been to the photo festival. Yeah, it was it was a great event. Uh, you know, Terry and the gang there are trying to get this thing off the ground. It was their second year, and uh, the response was great. And they're hoping that uh, I mean, it's it's more of a labor of love for the organizers there. But I think the the response was good, certainly from people on the island. And there were a lot of people that combined their vacation with you know kind of a photo workshop experience and and that's where they're hoping to draw more people from so i'm uh, i'll give them a shout out I, that's it's still you know almost a year away but hopefully they'll they'll continue and uh, it, w- it was a really fun event and um yeah i'm just always uh you know i'm trying to shoot as much as i can i live in new york city probably uh, one of the most photogenic uh places to be there's always interesting stuff and totally. you know you know, Fred, that I'm into kind of people photography and capturing life as it happens, and there's no better place than uh, New York City. 
Um, I like to go to the Highline Park. Um, have you been there? Yes, I have. I went there last time I was in New York City. That place is insane. It's so beautiful. It's brand new, right? It's a brand new above ground park. It's become a new tourist attraction. A lot of people are going there. But it's just a great place to shoot because it's it's a former elevated train track that instead of tearing it down, they built a park on it. And it, it stretches from about... 12th street it's going to stretch all the way to 34th street and it's a unique view of the city and i love it as a photographer just because you know there's always a lot of people there and and the people there are very often tourists so they don't mind you know you photographing or including them in the uh, photograph so and and it's a unique um, vantage point of new york you know you can see a lot of the landmarks from there but in from a new perspective so i like to do that and you know we've got photo plus uh the big photo show here coming up in new york i'm going to be doing a presentation there on october 30th are you coming in for that i think i am going to come there actually yes I think that everybody, all the TWIP contributors, should uh, reunite. Uh, I we think we should do. A, I think we should do a show from there. What do you think? I think we definitely should uh, because you know, I mean, we just come from. Well, I wasn't at Photokina, but I know we. You guys have talked about Photokina being. Yeah, Joseph that, went to Photokina. Oh my God, Joseph is always everywhere. <laughs> I'm totally <laughs> jealous of that guy. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I have been there in the past. Have you ever gone? Never. I've heard rumors of it, uh, and I've heard how massive it is, but I've never... And, frankly, I'm a little afraid, you know? I'm scared scared to go. I don't want to... It's like the Olympics in that it's every two years, although, well, the Olympics is every two years, four years. But it is... You you almost have to train for it because, physically, it just (laughs) takes up so much space that to cover, like, one end to the the next, I mean, you have to be in good shape. It's like the death death star of photography work shows, right? It it really is. And for for people who... love the gear the way we do i mean there's probably no better place to go because it's all there and everything new is there but the next best thing i think particularly in north america would be at photo plus expo and what's better about that is aside from all the gear there's all kinds of different seminars and sessions and meetups and uh, a lot of chance for for photographic education and to photograph as well so uh, hopefully that'll be um i i you know there was there was uh, talk you know that uh trade shows were kind of on the way uh, down with because we're able to connect so easily on the internet but um, it seems like the numbers are encouraging at least for a photo plus expo so it's uh, not dead yet you know like macworld for example which uh, when apple pulled out everyone thought "Hmm, it's not going to last but it's still still kicking and and hopefully going to continue because we're still human we need the human contact don't we yeah that's that's totally right and i you know i was one of the ones that was kind of raising an eyebrow about trade shows and it's still kind of raised you know but i i think and, and that's mainly because you know in today you know right now everybody's cash squeezed and time squeezed and you know can you justify saying hey you know if you're one of the millions of americans that are out of work can you justify saying hey you know we don't really need to pay rent or mortgage next month i'm gonna head out to uh to germany and hang out if <laughs> you know it just it just doesn't work you know I mean, people are and especially if you look at that and you're like you know, I could go over there and spend a couple of grand, you know, on the hotel food and and everything else that I'm going to do there. Or I could go buy a lens, you know. <laughs> so it's it's that balance. But I think you're absolutely right. When, when you do kind of bite the bullet and go to one of these shows, just being out of your own sort of circle and being immersed in a, 
in an entire sometimes city worth of people that are interested in the same stuff that you are it kind of takes you to that like wow it reinvigorates you it's kind of like going going to the hot springs or something you know because you're like reinvigorated about photography you see all this new stuff you see different people shooting you see what they're shooting some people have your stuff some people have better some people have worse you know and it's just exciting so you know it's a i think they'll i don't think trade shows in of themselves are gonna go away i think but you know, definitely some trade shows. I know some trade shows are growing, but some trade shows, especially in this economy right now, only the people that can afford to go, obviously, you know, yeah. um, are going to show up. Yeah, no disagreement there. I mean, certainly, you know, if, 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 if you're lucky enough to either live close by or are able to get there and have the time and the means to do so, uh, generally you won't be disappointed. But you're right. I mean, we have to make choices and, uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of choices out there, and certainly, um, you know, if money's an issue, you have to be smart about things and, you know, gear. And we've had this conversation, and we'll continue to have it as much as we're kind of gearheads to a certain degree. You know, the we do realize that uh, it's, you know, these are tools, and, you know, it, it's, it's going to lead into our discussion about lamography that I wanted to bring up at some point, but we don't have to do it right away. But, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Anyway, so. Well, before, so, we, yeah. b- before we jump into the show proper or to our uh, the, the topics that we're going to hit, I want to give a nod to our sponsor. This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. Um, and as we mentioned over the last several weeks, they've announced a couple of new things. Uh, it, some of the interesting... Uh, widgets that they've announced are, and they actually they call these social widgets. One is a Flickr photo display. They allow you to view thumbnails or a slideshow view of a particular Flickr feed. Um, they've got a Twitter widget that allows you to embed tweets from yourself or you know whoever else on your website. And they also got a, a really cool iPhone app that I've heard is really, really cool in terms of allowing you to post, log in, update your website, um, moderate comments, all that kind of magic stuff. So uh, we are, you know, of course, sponsored by Squarespace and we love them very much. So if you'd like a free trial, head over to squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out. Build a cool website. If you decide that you want to keep it, you'll get 10% off the purchase price or the subscription fee for life. That's the offer code TWIP, squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. All right, let's jump into it, Steve. Uh, The first thing that I wanted to chat about is an object of my desire, which is also going to be my pick of the week. Oh. And, and you know what it is. <laughs> I think I do. I think I do. It's a new Nikon camera. Is it's it not? a new Nikon camera. Uh, and there's a couple of things that's significant about this. We talked about the, the Nikon D7000 a few shows ago. And actually, I've been corrected several times because I misspoke and incorrectly referred to the Nikon D7000 as Nikon D700. But oh, yeah. Which it is not, of course. It no, you have a D seven hundred. I I do have a D seven hundred, and um, and I will soon have a D seven thousand as soon as they ship. So, um, but you know the interesting thing about this, this is this is the the APS-C size sensor, but it also has it shoots ten eighty p at sixteen point two megapixels, and they were calling it as the the successor to the D ninety, but actually it sits somewhere between the D ninety and the D three hundred S in terms of you know, the megapixel size and just the fit and finish and the overall heft of the camera. The main reason, Steve, I'm looking at this thing is uh, I've been in the market for a replacement for my, wait for it, 
uh, my Canon um, <laughs> little point and shoot. You know the uh, what? What do you call it? The G nine. <laughs> That's you nine. Yes, I, I remember you. You pointed it at me once. I still instance. have that camera. I haven't upgraded. What are they like? Wow. G G fifteen now. That's right. I was a lot younger then. When you <laughs> that camera wow. is a tank. It still works the, as well as it do, it did the day I bought it, and I will keep which, that camera which is forever. Actually, just just to point out, I'll just stop it right there because you know the reality is uh, that technology is moving so fast and we are so impatient i mean i don't know how many times i'm in in front of the microwave going like hurry up come on yeah but you know it's changing all the time but the reality is that a lot of these cameras i mean it's sad because they're good cameras they they work well yeah and and you know if you were to be marooned on a desert island with you know one of these cameras chances are it would last maybe even longer than, than you would. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but but I mean these things are built. They're they're still working. They do great work. And again, pointing to the discussion we're going to have on lamography, it's not always all. It's it's it actually certainly isn't about you know megapixels and all these improvements because in the end, it's the content that is king. Absolutely, you know, it's the work we do with these things. But Absolutely, you on? I know. I want one too. A D7. I know you're going to get one. We'll probably get them the same day. They'll arrive in their mail. Box. But uh, but the, you know the main reason you know I, like I said before I have I have really nice Nikon cameras and I'm happy with them um, you know a D3 and a D700 and you know I I shoot with my D700 primarily be, just because it's lighter and it has the same sensor as a D3 in it and you know I'm frankly it's more comfortable in my hand than a D3 if I I'll bring the D I'll be bring the the D3 out if I want to like telegraph a message that hey I'm a real photographer and if I really want to telegraph that I'll put that 7200 lens on <laughs> with the go. lens shade you know, camera vest all that stuff exactly. uh, but seriously the D700 D700 um, if I'm out on a photo walk or whatever I'll slap on whatever lens I feel like taking I'm only going to take one lens on a photo walk generally throw yeah. that thing on uh, make sure I've got a card in there make sure it's charged up and I'm and away I go. You know, it's done. So the D7000, where that's going to fit into my workflow, is, you know, as I alluded to before, with the G9, I was, uh, you know, doing all these nice videos of all the photographers I know, like you and Lisa and whoever else. Um, but now I've, I've stopped because, I, well, I put a pause on it because I want higher resolution. And, you know, I, I need HD, especially now that YouTube can support HD. I want to shoot. Mm -hmm. I want to do these things in HD because, in in many ways, when I do get the opportunity to do these videos, they're important. In at least in my head, they're important because they're recording you, this noteworthy photographer, at a specific point in time. So I want them to be at the highest quality they can possibly be. So I've been toying around with, okay, you know, maybe I'll. It, first, I was thinking maybe I'll just go get a get a video camera. You know, one of those little Canon video cameras, HD, and call it done. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, but I'm like, okay, now another piece of gear. Am I going to use any of my lenses? You know, everyone's shooting this DSLR video. Do I really want to do that? So maybe I'll just go get a D90. And then I rented one from Borrow Lenses, and <laughs> although it was okay, it was it, let's just say it didn't do what I thought it was going to do in terms of being flexible enough for me to do the videos I needed. Um, mm -hmm. So then I decided, you know what, maybe I'll just bite the bullet. I still have a 51-2 Canon lens. Um, oh maybe I'll just buy a 7D <laughs> and use it specifically for video and not tell anybody, you know? 
<laughs> so I was gonna do that, and, but I was holding off on it. You know, I was like, maybe Nikon will come out with something. Maybe, and then mainly because not because you know I have some aversion to Canon, but I just have a crap load of Nikon lenses. You know that I want to be able to stick on the F mount. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in comes the D seven thousand. And boom, you know, 1080p video, 16.2 <laughs> megapixels, and, you know, we're, it's all good. So I'm going to get that thing and maybe use it as my walk-around camera and primarily as the camera that I use to do interviews and video podcasting and that sort of stuff with. And it's only, t- it, what, 1200 bucks? I mean, only, you know, it's expensive, <laughs> very expensive. But for what the price range I was looking for, it fits neatly in there. And considering I won't have to buy any lenses and... You know, I'm already f- familiar with the UI and all that stuff. It's, uh, it oh, makes, it makes sense. sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the D3100 that came out to replace the entry-level DSLR, um, you know, it had some things on it, particularly the, the 1080 uh, video that no other Nikon uh, camera had. So, um, you know, on some accounts, you could say that the entry-level Nikon um, has more capabilities, at least with video, than the D3S, which yeah. has video and it's over $5,000. So it kind of points to where the higher end ones are, are going to go. And we're going to have to wait uh, likely till next year to start to see um, some of these new video features uh, crop up on the higher end cameras. But, but it's it's an exciting uh, kind of um, um, it's pointing to what's coming in terms of Nikon. When you get into the the D300S, the D700, the D3S, the D3X, and, and what's going to replace those cameras. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting because a lot of people are very happy with those cameras now. Um, the other thing, too, is that, like I, like you, uh, Frederick, I'm, I haven't really started to do video yet. Um, I realize that these cameras are not made to be dedicated video cameras. So, of course, you know, if, if you're planning on, you know, starting a television station or, or, or doing something um, uh, on a grander scale, scale video-wise, it may not make sense for you. But as we also know, and that's why some of the, the some of, a lot of Hollywood is, is starting to use these cameras, that you've got the ability to use... Uh, a larger sensor for video, which allows you to put these fast lenses on and gives you uh, a beautiful quality um, that we're used to in still photography and translates it uh, into video in, in a way that was reserved for the highest end Hollywood cinematographers of 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 the past. So now, you know, you can get you don't even need a D seven thousand. You can get the entry level one for seven hundred bucks. The D thirty one hundred. You have ten eighty, and if you've got some beautiful fast glass on there you can do you know extraordinary results um with this and if you get into it further you there's no limits to where you can go um the other thing i like about the nikon system is you know you've got the picture controls which i know a lot of photographers don't use it mainly affects jpeg but if you shoot nikon raw it will um allow you in capture nx2 for example to um emulate those those picture controls and i know there uh, are some high-end wedding photographers, for example, who shoot with their own custom tweaked picture controls for looks that they like. They shoot JPEGs because they don't want to spend too much time converting raw files, and they're able to nail their exposures with JPEG. And it can be a real advantage. But with video, I mean, you could set it to monochrome black and white, 
And for me, that's a little exciting, you know, to be able to, con- to create my own look for moving pictures using the Nikon picture controls, um, I think is kind of exciting. And with some of these new lenses, like the 16 to 35 that have VR built in and VR vibration reduction uh, that we've seen mostly in telephoto lens is now migrating to wider lenses. And I think mainly because of the video capability, because now you can have a vibration reduction lens on and it will stabilize the image for moving pictures and just make your videos that much easier to to view so you know it's almost a perfect storm of everything coming together for people who want to experiment and it won't take the place necessarily of still shooting but you know if you're going out on a still photography session you can do that and then take some video clips and incorporate them on your website or on Flickr or however you want to create a, 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 a kind of a, a still slideshow with maybe a behind-the-scenes video of what it was like. And it, it just, from a picture storytelling um, possibilities uh, window, it, it just opens up a whole new uh, way of doing things. So Steve, let me, let me make sure I understand what you just said about the picture control piece. So you're saying that you can create presets in the camera that will emulate your particular look, say it's a, a certain kind of contrasty black and white or something like that, right? Um, and go out and shoot raw and have it actually save those settings so that when you import that raw file into Capture Next, it will apply them to the raw file so that you see them that, in, that instead instead of baking them into the JPEG, right? Yeah, that is correct, uh, Fred. Okay, got it. What what happens is basically um, the camera, um, the metadata for the picture control is attached or incorporated into the um, the file for that raw file. So in Capture NX2, um, well, I mean, you, you you could actually just apply it in Capture NX2, um, but but you can also have it kind of so that it is applied automatically uh, when you when you import it into Capture NX2. I should do a slight caveat. That's my understanding. I haven't actually uh, tried that. So if someone knows otherwise, let us know. But that's my understanding. My understanding also is that with video, you can use picture controls, which, and that was my point that I was trying to raise, because we can talk about that for stills in a, in a separate conversation. But for video, you can take advantage of these picture controls to get specific looks in video, which to me is is kind of fun and exciting. E- even more so than than with stills, because with stills, I like to kind of take control of each image and, and really just try and make it as realistic as possible. But uh, creatively, there's all kinds of possibilities. Well, Steve, what are you shooting with now? D- uh, I'm still shooting with the, with the original D3. What are, what are you shooting with? Well, I've got uh, I've got a couple of cameras, but I've got the the D3. Um, I had a D3s that was loaned to me, which I had to give back, and I'm trying to buy a new one. And it's not just money, but it's also availability. Uh, they're not really easy to find, so I'm using that as a bit as bit of an excuse for me to to not have one yet. But yeah. uh, you know that will ultimately replace the the D3. There's no question. At the Olympics, I used the D3s, and I've I've had it for a while. And, uh, you know, it's just, I love the D3. The D3 is fantastic. Uh, but the D3S is just that much better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's got the sensor cleaning. It's got a few things that um, it's a no-brainer. I mean, you know, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's like the perfect camera out there now. I mean, it, like you say, it's a little bigger than a D700. But 
you know, I've learned to handle the big camera and uh, well, it just look it looks smaller in your hands because you're such a large man, right? I'm a huge guy. <laughs> I'm a I'm a big, tough, huge guy. But, Go uh, lumbering around New York, people walk to the other <laughs> sides of the street. You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I agree with you. I mean, you know, for me, I I much prefer to have a lower profile camera, but I've resigned myself to the fact after years of using the D2X and the D3 that. Uh, you know, I'll I'll pay the price of having a bigger camera, which is you know it's a little bit more noticeable when you're trying to be a fly on the wall. It's also a little heavier to deal with, especially those long days. And if you have having to handhold yeah. a lot of your your seventy two hundred, which is not considered to be a really huge lens, but it takes its toll after a while when you're handholding for a long time, even for a big strong guy like me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah, my just to close that off, I think my my plan will be because I do need to upgrade the D seven hundred and the the D three at some point in the future. Who knows when? But I think the uh, the stopgap will be the D seven thousand. Be you know in terms of the video and all that stuff, and hopefully that will tide me over until Nikon releases whatever this new thing is going to be that has all the video wonderfulness and the upgraded UI of these entry level cameras in their high end products, and then I'll just get that. So. Yeah, but I, I just on a last note on this. I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see a lot of the new lenses that they've introduced, like the fast lenses, the thirty five four, the eighty five one four, the twenty four one four. I mean, granted, they're they're very expensive, but I think professionals uh, appreciate the idea of using a fixed lens, and in a way, um, it it's it can be more of an ad- advantage, I think, to a photographer. Uh, as much as the versatility and um, the ability to shoot a lot more from one place with a zoom will give you, when you're in a lot of photography situa- shooting situations and you have a fixed lens and you force yourself to really move around and move your feet to get to different, use your feet as a zoom, um, it, it really does help you um, get better pictures in my experience because it forces you to move and try things in new ways and when you do that and you it's digital so you shoot it even though this may not be the one you think is the one um, when you start to work that way uh, I think it leads to stronger pictures because you end up shooting things that maybe you wouldn't have if you were to stand in one spot and play with the zoom so so I, I kind of like that idea of, of the fixed lens I'm, I'm getting back to that you are so that, I was going to ask you that so you know, there's there's magical lenses out there, and this is a this is a good segue into a. See, this is why doing these one on ones is great. We're just like segueing <laughs> into these different parts of the conversation that we didn't know we we're gonna go. But but uh, fixed lenses in general, you know, we talk a little bit about this on the show. But you know, there's some really nice on the Nikon side and the Canon side, of course. This this discussion spans all platforms: Nikon, Canon, Sony, Olympus, etc. Um, but they're really nice uh, zoom lenses. Uh, on these bodies that have come a long way in the pa- from from what they were in the past. I remember when I first started shooting, wait for it, in uh, 1989. They uh, the 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 thinking was, and very rightly so, was that zoom lenses were less sharp than your fixed focal length lenses because you know it's simple math. More elements, light has passed through has to pass through, it gets dispersed, you make a softer image, yada, yada, yada. But through whatever magic of technology and bending space and time, they've fixed that in many ways and gotten the lenses that are zoom lenses to be as sharp 
um, as you know, or respectively, as uh, fixed focal length lenses. So now the question doesn't. They basically removed the the idea that you're compromising by buying a zoom lens on sharpness to get the flexibility of the zoom. Now it's a choice. You know, what do you want to shoot? Do you want to go fixed focal length or do you want to go zoom? So my, I'm going to throw it to you, Steve. My question to you is. Why, given that, given that it's okay to shoot a zoom lens, why would a photographer want to go out and just, you know, go out into an environment with, say, just an 85-1.4? Well, you know, it's a good question. And, you know, just getting back to what I was saying before, I have to admit, I've been inspired by a lot of photographers that I've seen recently. Uh, there's a uh, an amazing destination photographer is a friend of mine, Rick Collins, who, you know, shoots with kind of some older lenses. You know, he's got a 35 f2 and an 85 1.4, not the latest greatest. Um, and and you know, I've I've sort of relied on the pillow of a zoom, which means that you know I know that on any given situation, coming from the journalism realm, sometimes I can't move. So if I can't move, having a zoom allows me to get what I need to get often. Right. But the, the other reality is that um, now that I'm not necessarily working in a newspaper, I'm not in very competitive scrum situations, uh, the advantages of having a Zoom or the necessities for having a Zoom have kind of evaporated for me. And often when I'm in the field, I'm working alone, and that's what, the way I like it you know, in a particular situation. So I have the ability to move around, yet I still have the, 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 the comfort of having that zoom lens, or at least I've relied on having that zoom lens. Um, I like the discipline of having a, a fixed focal lake lens that, as I said before, which means that I have to make just subtle movements and really experiment eye to the viewfinder as I compose the image and move around and try things. And this way, one one thing is taken away, and that is the focal length. In order to adjust my my perspective, I have to move myself. Whereas, when you have a zoom lens, you can use you can use the zoom to adjust the focal length and move yourself. So, you know that that's great. It's more flexibility, but sometimes too many choices can lead, in, and not on, not enough time to make those choices can lead to less than uh, the best results. So I'm starting to find that by either Leaving my zoom at one focal length, you know, if it's a 20, 24 to 70, I might, you know, on a full frame camera, leave it at like 32 or 35, so distortion is minimized. And moving myself around and, and forcing myself to come up with the best, um, the best possible composition by moving around and trying things um, has actually helped me to, you know, and I've been doing this a long time, just to, to get better because, you know, we can always improve. So I think... And that's for someone who's been doing this a long time. I think for people that are new to it with a zoom lens and too many choices, um, it may not be the best way to learn because you've got to go through a lot of trial and error of moving around and moving that zoom and not knowing why by, by eliminating that one thing, by keeping it ramped at you know the extremes, for example, by using your zoom lens and moving yourself or using the discipline of having that fixed focal length lens and moving around and discovering your composition, I think will accelerate your growth as a photographer, particularly for new photographers coming in. Yeah. And you know the idea of having the fast lenses too, they're smaller, uh, easier to, to, to handle. Um, often less expensive, at least the higher end ones, um, you know, than the two eight zooms. Yep. So 
there are a lot of advantages. Yeah, it's a it's a zen experience for the for the for the I don't know. I don't want to say just new photographers, just for photographers in general. I do that from time to time as well, Steve. Like on photo walks, I'll you know just take out the D seven hundred and put on just a fifty, you know, and just walk around with that. And you know, at times you feel. You know, I lament not not having brought different lenses. Like, oh man, look at that shot! If I just had my so and so, I would have been able to get it. But then other opportunities avail themselves because you are restricted. And you're like, okay, well, I want to go get a portrait of this person. I actually have to go talk to them because <laughs> I, yeah. I want to get up a little closer. So yeah, yeah, I think I think Frederick, it's akin to you know having too much equipment. I see it a lot on the workshops that I give. You know, people will bring a giant bag full of stuff. And in a way that that is completely, um, uh, what's the word? It weighs you down. And you know, if you have lighter a lighter uh, uh, um, set of tools, and you don't bring everything, yes, there are times when, oh darn, I wish I had my 400 because that would be a great shot with a 400. But there's a lot you can do with what you've got, and you just have to say, okay, let go the ones that you're not going to get it all. And just work within that that one frame, and and I guarantee you, if you start to discipline, if you're if you're one of those people that brings everything, and you force yourself to, you know, just take the bare minimum one time and see how that goes, and you really work it, you will, I think, understand uh, the benefits of doing so. It's it's liberating. Yeah. So let, let's see. That, that's a good segue into you. Less is more. And you you mentioned a couple times that you wanted to talk about lamography, which is kind of the the new. Uh, well, it's an old uh, technique, but uh, is enjoying some some renaissance. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I, I brought it up to you because just yesterday I was uh, on my bicycle here in New York and I happened upon this store. I saw the sign out there and I think it said like the Lamography store or something. And I thought, whoa, uh, that's I've never seen that before. Uh, what the heck is that? But of course, I was interested. I mean, I knew what Lamography is, and I, I guess um, the the Lomo uh, was. Uh, a signature for a brand name of Russian camera, kind of a plasticky type camera. And it's now uh, the moniker for a whole new movement. I walked inside this store and I was just amazed because in Lamography, I mean, the, the cameras that I was familiar with, the Holga, for example, um, the Diana, which was a plastic camera that came out in the 60s and kind of went away. But in this Lamography store, all this stuff was back, and it was back with a vengeance. I mean, the Diana now has different versions. There's one with flash. They have one with a instant back that allows you to put the Fuji uh, Instax, I, I think that's what it's called, uh, you know, um, sort of the Polaroid, if you will, uh, since Polaroid's no longer around or to a limited degree, uh, you know, allows you to do instant photography with a Diana camera. They even have... Um, they even have adapters that allows you to put these plastic lenses on your Nikon or Canon EOS system. Um, and according, as I started to do some research, um, they claim to have a community of over half a million people worldwide. And for me, it was like very heartening because, and I've talked about it on the show, you know, oftentimes when I'm teaching, let's say at, at ICP, for example, where I see the students, the young photographers, and and they're very much into trying out film, and they try out film, and they love the experience of film. And I think those photographers that have come from film and transitioned to digital, 
understand that because it was very cool. Well, Lamography is all film-based. And um, not only the instant pictures, but it uses, depending on the camera, a 35 millimeter, you know, black and white color. It's very kind of low end. Um, uh, and, and the beauty is, and part of the fun is, um, that you don't really know what you're going to get. Not only because the, um, you're using film, you don't have that digital instant uh, image that you can look at. But because the equipment is so cheap, if yeah, you will, yeah. the lenses are so cheap that every image is kind quality of cheap. You mean, right? <laughs> yeah, like quality cheap. Yet the images can be extremely atmospheric. And you know, if you start to uh, go to their website and you start to see, for instance, they have these ten golden rules. And I think when you look at them, and I can read a couple of them for you. I mean, it it, it makes sense because they basically say, you know, just shoot, kind of like digital. I mean, you don't really have to focus on a lot of these cameras. Mm -hmm. You just shoot and you record. Um, you know, you're depending on the the materials that you use. I mean, they have under the Lamography uh, moniker, they've got panoramic plastic cameras uh they've got this camera which i think will be my pick of the week called the spinner which is kind of like a a lawnmower cord that you pull and the camera spins around and exposes and takes kind of a 360 degree image um pretty amazing and i saw some examples it really works you can see the sprocket holes of the 35 millimeter um, you can cross-process. It's just it's just a very creative way to record what you see around you, and 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 you know it doesn't you know all be damn like whatever happens happens if it if it's out of focus who cares I mean it doesn't matter but you end up with images that from an artistic standpoint at least and and we we I know we've talked about lens babies before um, you know it takes your 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 high resolution digital cameras and turns it on its its ear by by doing the exact opposite and you know in many ways it's very liberating and just looking at all the stuff that was available I was just you know surprised because I didn't realize this resurgence of this kind of toy camera technology yeah. was was taking the world by storm but in a way it represents all the great things that we love about photography. That's exactly it. That's what I was going to say. It, it, it reminds me of when I first started in photography. Of course, this was film, right? And that magic of, like, you go out and you shoot. And this is when you just, I'm just learning. You know, I was just learning what an f-stop was and what a shutter speed was and what an ISO was and how it all relates together. So you're out shooting and trying to understand all this stuff, but you're, you're like shooting with blinders on because you have no idea what you're going to get and you have to take notes and remember, okay, frame, this was like this. And on frame 15, I did this, you know, and then you go and you process the film, you get it back and you look at, oh, okay, that's what depth of field means, you know, <laughs> but that, you know, digital, of course, erases all that because you have the instant gratification. But there was that magic of, you know, I'm shooting something and I hope I got it. I don't know if I got it. I'm, you know, I'm going to shoot another one. I'm going to bracket. I hope I got it, you know. Uh, and just, you know, it seems like Lomography might, is bringing that back and adding a little twist of it to it by adding the cheapness factor in there, <laughs> well, which is that variable. Uh, 
it's inspiring because basically Lamography says, you know, just record your life and have fun. And you know what? The equipment is such that a D7000 is a great deal at $1,200. But if you pump $1,200 into Lamography, I mean, you can get, you know, a real set of equipment that does all kinds of crazy stuff and enough film and processing to last you for, for a long, long time. You know, and looking at the catalog, which I picked up, I mean, they've got these fisheye cameras, you know, these plastic fisheye cameras. They've got fisheye submarine underwater cameras that, that you can use, ring flashes. Wow. Um, they have these color splash cameras that, you know, put filters over the flash to give you these crazy colors. And they've got color splash flashes that photograph, you know, with different colors. And, and they've got instant film and the Holga and the Horizon, which does, you know, beautiful panoramic stuff. And, you know, there, there have always been serious photographers using this stuff. But now it's become kind of mainstream. And, and, you know, at the store when I was looking around, they got these beautiful, like, leather cases that you can put this stuff in. And, and they've got, um, you know, they've, they've got stuff catering to, you know, it, it doesn't ignore the fact that, you know, we live, live in this digital world. So you can, they've got these um, scanning masks that allows you to put your, your Lomography negatives onto um, one of these scanning masks and then put it on a simple flatbed um, uh, scanner that, that allows you to bring your stuff uh, to the web, etc. They've got galleries now in, in major cities around the world. Anyway, it was a big surprise to me. You know, I didn't, I kind of knew about it, but I didn't realize it had grown to the level that it appears to have grown. And, you know, New York City's not a, a cheap place to, to have a, a major venue like this. And in looking at the catalog, there are, are many major gallery stores around the world. And then I checked out their website. Um, and, you know, just, just uh, I don't know if you saw, Frederick, but they've got, you know, their 10 golden rules. And, you know, a lot of those things I think we would, would live by. And that's like, take your camera everywhere. Use it anytime, day or night. Um, it becomes a part of your life. And I think for a lot of people, they're, they're recording their lives, yeah. be it whether they're phones or, or now, you know, using this stuff. They say shoot from the hip, you know, try stuff, take chances, um, and, and photograph people. Don't think, just do. Which I think is good advice. You know, yeah. be fast because you know even the fastest autofocus isn't as fast as a fixed lens that you you don't have to focus. That's right. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and, and there's there's all kind. And then the the last rule I love, and don't worry about any rules. And that's yeah. basically you know there are no rules. I mean everything is inherently wrong with these plastic lenses and these light leaks and all this stuff. Yet in the end, you get these very beautiful images that can really say a lot so it's inspiring so steve are you where are you in the process it sounds like you have the catalog are you (laughs) uh are you about to pull the trigger and buy some gear and go experiment and or what Uh, well i think you know ultimately i would love to do this i have to admit you know just seeing all the stuff i mean they got all this cool stuff it would be fun to to play with um the way my schedule is these days um i don't really you know, have the time, and I, of course, you can argue. Well, you got to make the time, etc. But um, I think that uh, I might pick up one of these cameras. Uh, my pick of the 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 week um, was going to be the spinner camera. That looked really kind of fun and different, and and allows you to do something in a different way. It gave you a 360 degree view. And um, in looking at the images, like I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it seems to really work. 
Um, and it's not all that expensive either. I, I don't even know the price, but you know, all this stuff is really inexpensive because it's it's cheap plastic stuff manufactured in China, and um, but it does what it does, and it and what it does, it it does very well. So. Uh, I'm I'm a little inspired by it. Like I say, I just saw this yesterday, and I suggested we talk about it. Um, and you know, I I think ultimately I will um, I will have some fun with this stuff. That's cool. RC, before we move on to the uh, to the listener questions, there's one other topic I wanted to talk about, and this is inspired by uh, by one of the sites that I frequent. That's uh, the Kelby Training dot com website um and one of my heroes which i I had the opportunity to interview here on this week in photo is joe mcnally has a bunch of videos up there and uh one of them that he was that one of the latest videos actually he was talking about doing stroboscopic photography with the nikon cls system where you you know set the camera up put a subject in front of a dark background and uh have them move and fire the flash throughout the throughout a single exposure to make multiple exposures on a single frame of, um, you know, a single digital frame. Uh, But then he also had a a couple of videos up there, at least one video, the one I saw, was on uh, just one light and how you can do so much with one light. Um, And I know a bunch of people out there, a bunch of photographers out there like Zacharias, etc. He's got a one light workshop and lots of photographers talk about how you can do so much with one light. I thought we would just touch on it a little bit here on the show to, uh, you know, hopefully inspire people to, to know that you, know, you can get some amazing photographs using just a single strobe or a single light source. It doesn't have to be a strobe. You agree with that, Steve? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I had the good fortune of being up at uh, Gulf Photo Plus in Dubai in March. And, of course, all those light guys were there. I mean, Joe McNally and Zacharias and David Hobby, the strobist, and Joey L., young Joey L., the 21-year-old um, phenom photographer who's doing amazing work. You say that and with such angst. I hear it, yes, the angst in your voice. Because we're <laughs> over 21, and he's accomplished at his young age, you know, is just something I think a lot of photographers dream of, you know, in a lifetime. So, yep. yes, he is annoying, but he's a, a wonderful guy, wonderful photographer, so you can't hate him. But, you know, there... You know, part of the the old joke was that, uh, yeah, Joe McNally, you know, who's the master of the small strobe, um, you know, would come into some of the workshops and he'd have like a strobe tree with a thousand strobes all tied together and very complex. But, you know, that may be true and that may be part of the show. But the reality is that Joe will often in his workshops, uh, understanding who the people are that come to it, show just how much you can do with one light used well and you know my experience as a as a newspaper photographer was always that you know keep it simple and you know as long as you get that one light off camera and i think that is the key and i think that is the message that is often um the the one big takeaway from a lot of these one light workshops and that is you got to get it off the camera because you have the the camera and the flash and the light coming from the same spot it's a very flat potentially harsh kind of light but you take it off camera even if you have if you're not using cordless um wireless flash but just uh, a cord and you hold it off-camera at a 45-degree angle, even if it's not a soft light, it gives you a very three-dimensional, beautiful light when photographing people, for example. So, you know, in a way, uh, they take that idea of taking the camera off or taking the flash off-camera and then 
using a variety of different modifiers to really kind of finesse and tweak the looks that you're going to get. So, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely a big proponent of one light, and for for years, I would use. Um, the Elencrom makes probably, and I, I think it's famous throughout photography, the, the Octobank, which is a seven-foot giant octagonal umbrella that you could actually, and I have, stand absolutely in front of where you think you would kind of block the light. But this light bathes your subject in such a way that even if you were to block you know, 30% of the light coming from this thing, it's, you won't, it won't even miss you. It's still going to give you a beautiful blanket of soft light. And it's one light. And for years, a lot of big-name photographers you know, would use that. It's, in a way, the easiest way to get an absolutely beautiful light is to have a giant, soft light source. Yeah. And, that great and there's the, you know the other thing is you know we talk about one light and immediately folks gravitate towards you okay one strobe get it off camera all that but one light is one light i mean one light can be the light in your hotel room it could be the window in a in a room it could be the sun you know it's one light you know and once you i think part of understanding the dynamic of photography and how things work together is understanding that play of the primary light source and the shadow and you know specularity and how what makes a sh- what makes your shadow and how to how to reduce the shadows and creatively you know move your subject into shade or use a reflector to bounce some light back onto them which effectively gives you two light sources you know and that sort yeah. of thing you know that's the little asterisk on all these one light systems and that is you know you have one main light but then if you use different kinds of uh, reflectors, um, you can fill in when needed and then really enhance that beautiful one light by uh, you know, closing up and filling in the shadow areas that if, if, the, if there's too much of an extreme there. So, yeah, it, it, it doesn't have to take much. And I think that for a lot of photographers, especially those um, entering into this um, and wanting to maybe make a buck with it, uh, really... Uh, it's important to just have maybe one or two simple light setups that you can always repeat. And once you have those under your belt, um, it allows you to consistently repeat them in, in a variety of different situations from corporate to fashion or whatever. And they work. And then as you build confidence, you know, you can add, you know, two, three, four different lighting setups that you know intimately that you can create. Um, to get consistent results, and that's just part of being a professional, to be able to consistently get high-quality lit uh, portrait for, for that kind of thing. So it doesn't have to be complicated at all, and often the simplest ones are the most effective because once you've got that lighting setup figured out, then you can concentrate on what's really important, and that's getting the most from your, your subjects. Absolutely, and that's the other piece of it, right? I mean, if you're shooting people, you know, part of photography at least people photography, whether it's models or candids on the street or whatever, is being able to build a rapport with the subject so that you can elicit an emotion out of them or put them at ease or whatever so that you get a decent shot out of them. All of this while understanding the complexity on the other side of the camera to make sure you capture that shot on the front of the camera the photographer's job is also to bring the subject's guard down so that you can get the shot so you're 
you're multitasking in many ways, but you need to make it appear effortless, which you're the master of, Steve. I mean, you, <laughs> you've you been, uh, you know, to Africa and all around the world shooting people that have no idea what you're saying, and you're able to get emotion out of them and, or capture them very candidly. What's your, what's your secret for for not appearing threatening the strange like in africa the strange white guy with the with this expensive camera out here <laughs> taking pictures how do you how do you get the shot well i think you know one of the the main things is you know and you you hit it and that is we were talking about lamography and that is you know with lamography you don't care about the technical you basically press the button and i think if you're lighting your subject you want to get it to the point where you've got the lighting down and now you can just not care about it and concentrate on your subject. I think when working quickly in the field, um, you need to figure out the technical so you don't have to worry about it and you can concentrate on dealing with your subject. And by that, you know, obviously when I'm working on location or if I'm in a foreign country, uh, depending on what it is I'm doing, often I will sit down sometimes through a translator and explain to the subject you know, just so they know and they're a willing collaborator and participant in what's going to happen in terms of a portrait situation. But I think what you were pointing out was that often you're just kind of moving and if you want to kind of grab a shot of someone, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is just realizing that you, you have to get over your shyness. I think that uh, I'm basically a shy person, but I have to be a little bit more bold when if there's someone I want to photograph, I have to I have to boldly go up and, and either sometimes just with a look and a pointing to my camera or just raising it and making eye contact with the people, you get kind of uh, them to agree. Or if, if it needs be, you know, you, you, you need to sort of talk about it or hopefully you'll be able to communicate that. You know, you're not always successful, but, you know, three, you know, a baseball player, and I've used the analogy, hits three out of ten and they're making millions and they're a superstar. Yeah. You know, in photography, you have to get past the point that, yeah, some people are going to say no and often it's not going to work out. But you just keep going after it and uh, your intentions are good and it gets easier it just gets easier once you put yourself out there and try it a few times and if you're lucky enough to get a really great shot that's often all the inspiration you need and motivation to to keep on pushing yourself even if you're a shy person so when you're, you're a shy person better when you're when you're out there say you're you're out in the bush somewhere you know and people are you know there that may may have to walk like 10 miles a day or whatever to get water, you know, they're just living in kind of these impoverished conditions and you're there documenting that for, you know, humanitarian purposes or whatever. Um, when you're there, these do, is your, is it your sense that these folks have seen cameras before? I mean, do they even know what you're doing or are you just like, you know, this strange alien that came down that has this gear and is taking light samples or something, you know? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, for the most part in places that I've been in Africa, uh, you know, people are aware of photography. I mean, you know, I'm often working in places that are not necessarily isolated villages, but close to big cities. You'll often find a photographer in the market somewhere. It's not something that everyone can afford, but photography is something for a lot of people, you know, special in that they don't get to do it very often. They don't get recorded very often. So, and I think too, uh, Fred, when I'm working in those situations, I'm usually working with people on the ground who have explained to the people if English isn't their first language or if they don't speak English, exactly why I'm there, what my purpose is, what I'm doing. 
and and they're they're on board. They understand that these photos will be used to either show people in the area that is employing me, be it Oxfam or or one of these NGOs, um, to 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 ultimately help the situation. Because usually, if I'm working for an NGO, for example, that NGO is. I'm in, I'm in the place where where the NGO is actually making a positive difference, so they're aware of them and they think good things about them because they're actually helping. So that makes it a lot easier. Um, but I, I don't think I've ever really worked in a such an isolated area where people have never seen a camera before, or really don't understand uh, what it is I'm doing. Yeah. And I could also use the, and I'm very reluctant to to use it. The the um, the image on the back of the camera because sometimes, as I've mentioned in the past, when the secret is out and you can see every picture that you take, there's no way you can work anymore because people just, especially kids, they just want to see every image that you photograph, and I, I can't blame them. Yeah, well, that happens here too, so <laughs> it's not unique to you know any particular place in the world. Well, this is a great discussion, Steve. Let's uh, let's take some listener Q and A to make sure we get some of the these questions in. The first one I wanted to take. Actually, I think we only have time for one quick one. Uh, it's from Peterk, P-E-T-E-R-K, from Australia. And again, these are these are questions that we pull from the This Week in Photo forums to uh, you know to answer when we can. So, if listeners, if you have a question that you'd like us to answer, just go over to this thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum and enter your question or peruse the forums there. They're really active forums, and there's really good stuff in there. So, definitely check them out. This first one comes from uh, Peterk in, As- in Australia. He says, basically, uh, he's wondering, he says, wondering if anyone can help me here. I'm looking to buy my first DSLR. will be a used one. I have several lenses from my SLR 35mm film days. Two I am particularly fond of. It's a Nikkor S Auto. What is this? Um, Let's see, a 55 millimeter and a 135 millimeter 2.8. The first one's a 1.2. And he says, the question is, would either of these lenses fit a Nikon DSLR? Because of the lack of funds, we'll probably be looking at an earlier DSLR cameras. Any help will be much appreciated. So, Steve, somebody has old lenses, but, you know, we know these older lenses are also really good. Um, and he wants to make the jump into digital. Can he take his lenses with him? Uh, absolutely, um, and that's the beauty, at least because he mentioned they were Nikon lenses, and um, the fact is that uh, some of the, even the earliest lenses from the late 50s, 59, when the Nikon F system was introduced, uh, literally 50-year-old lenses uh, can be used on the latest cameras. The asterisk is you can't always maintain all the functions of that particular um, camera so but but that's not a big issue so for example if you can't use program mode um, on on some of these new DSLRs it, you, it just means you can likely use aperture priority but ultimately you will be able to to use them and and use them well uh, it depends on the designation of, of, of which lens was which um, if he can just maybe go online because Nikon over the years have have maintained um, the F mount so that a 1959 lens will fit on the D7000. But uh, the the certain caveats are that a lot of the different functions now, the technology that these cameras have, um, 
are, are, are used with the new G lenses, which have little CPUs in them that transfer information to uh, the camera body to allow a lot of the new technology to, to happen. Yeah. So it depends on the specific lenses and um, the specific cameras. So, but, you know, all that information is available online. So, you know, that's something you can look into. The short answer is, uh, yes, uh, he can use um, uh, his lenses on DSLRs, from the D1, which was the first DSLR, and if he's looking to buy a used one, uh, maybe now's a good time. You know, when the D300s came out, D300s became very inexpensive. D200s came even less expensive, and they're still, as we mentioned, they still work. You know, when the new ones come out, the old ones that you're happy with still work. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, so. Well, you know, just a little known fact, Steve, I don't even know if, if you know this, but the, the Nikon F mount, that F, um, they, they asked me for permission to use the F because they wanted to basically give homage to me and the word Frederick. So that's where the F and F mount comes from. You know what? I had I had <laughs> guessed that. I had guessed that, and I understand it completely. But thanks for clarifying that. You yeah. know, me me and yes, Nikon. Yeah. You know, I licensed the F to them, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more question here. Uh, this was from Arvise, also from the Twip forums. He says. Uh, in one of the recent podcasts, the subject of using video publicly, like on the internet, for or for law enforcement without the permission of subjects shown in the video could result in jail time for the videographer or the publisher. The suggestion was that the Rodney King event might not have reached the public eye if that law was in effect back in those days. His question is, he wonders what obligation we as photographers have to get this information out to the public. Um, owner users of iPhones, webcams, public video cameras all run the risk of, of disobeying this law and the public and particularly photographers who don't know the consequences. Um, so, you know, this could be a much longer discussion, but just off the top, Steve, you're, you're out and about all the time. And I don't know if you remember this, this particular topic when we talked about it, but, you know, basically if you shoot something, uh, without permission, you can be jailed, and uh, especially law enforcement officers. In some cases, there's a law against uh, against recording them. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, I think um, you know, uh, there's it, it's just such a uh, it's it's there's so many um, different scenarios that could be potentially dangerous. I mean, sadly, we just had something, you know, happened here where, uh, and you probably made the national news, a very sad situation where um, some some kids, uh, 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 roommates of uh, someone who's going to university, recorded without their permission. I mean, this obviously goes over the line. Um, uh, some intimate encounter that the person had and ultimately streamed it online. And, and this person that found out about it ended up committing suicide. I mean, that's, you know, a horrible thing. Yeah. But it, it, does, it does illustrate the idea that you really do have to be careful, you know, with what we, with what we, we do with, with the images that we have. I mean, we do know that the camera can be a weapon, and that's kind of one of the ultimate examples. But I, I just fall back to journalism. Stuff that's happening out in the public um, venue, be it police officers, etc., as far as I understand, generally speaking, um, you know, if people, when people leave the, the sanctity of their, their home and they're out in public, uh, to a certain degree, at least journalistically, editorially, they, they lose that right to privacy. If you're going to be out somewhere and you're out with somewhere, somewhere with someone that you shouldn't be with, 
I mean, that's just a bit of the chance that, that you're taking. The odds are unlikely. Um, for the most part, um, I don't think it should stop you from you know, recording, and I don't think it will, especially these days when everyone has a recording device in their phone, if they don't have their camera with them. If something happens and, you know, they can't help, but they're they're seeing it happen, they might want to record it. Um, as far as those other those other things that, that, you know, if you catch someone doing something they shouldn't, I mean, you know, if, if, if you have a sense that maybe this isn't right, then maybe you should go a step further and, and, and really start to ask around, should I post this? Should I do this? Maybe I need to talk to someone before it. I think we all inherently know kind of what the right thing to do is. And uh, um, it, it's just, it's, it's hard to be hypothetical about it because it's so specific. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. On a lighter note, let's move over to the picks of the week. Uh, Steve, you mentioned yours was related to Lomography. What, uh, what is it in particular? Yeah, I would uh, say Lomography.com is the website, and it's the Spinner 360, and that's what they call it. And I'll just read you. This is literally the most freewheeling 360 panoramic camera. Pull the cord and release it. In a split second, the camera spins 360 degrees around its own axis. And uh, it's got, like, high-tech features like the rubber band drive, fully manual controls, sunny, cloudy aperture settings, and it's really kind of low-tech. Uh, but the images that you get from it literally are 360 degrees, and they look really cool. So I'll just put that out as my pick of the week. Yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. And it's scary that... Uh we we've we've spanned the the whole spectrum of, in price on this show from D3s's and D3x's all <laughs> the way down to you know your your Lomo. So this is this is a great show, great exactly. Show. All right. So speaking of that, uh, not to, I know this is I know I'm going to get feedback that there was too much Nikon on the show, but you know hey we're both Nikon shooters and we, we can talk <laughs> about it from time to time. Uh, my pick, like I said before, is the D7000, which is the current object of my desire gear wise. Um, and I'm going to be picking that up soon, particularly for the video in there and the fact that you can, uh, not only the video, because like you pointed out, Steve, uh, the D3100 also has um, uh, HD video on it, but the D7000 has an audio in port on it, which is critical to me so that I can plug in a mic and actually record folks, you know, which will be new. So um, that's my pick. That's my you know, I'm saving my pennies for that. So when it comes out, it will be on my doorstep. And Steve, you're going to, did you say you were getting one too? Well, I would like to, yeah, I would like to. So we'll see. Uh, I have limited pennies, so I'm going to have to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, sure you do. As he sits, <laughs> as he sits in his Park Avenue penthouse, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. If people uh, could only see, if people could only see, as my wife would often say. Awesome. All right, Steve, we're we're at the end of the show, my friend. Look at this. This was a mono e mono. You know, I would love I would love some feedback from the TWIP audience actually um on the forums or through the feedback form or whatever of uh, what you thought about this one-on-one format. Does it work for you? Would you do you do you need more? Do you like the crowd? Do you like the 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 more intimate discussion like this or what? Just let us know. Let me know. Send it uh send it in through the TWIP forum area or through the feedback form on the on the website 
Steve, what did you think? What did you think about this? Was it comfortable? Was it awkward? Did you feel too close to me? What was it? Were we Were we recording this? I thought this was just a conversation that we we're having. <laughs> exactly. No? See, that's my point. That's no, the way it's it all be. good. I, I just I you know I love talking to you. Love talking to anybody. I'll probably go down to the bus stop and talk to people waiting for the bus about <laughs> photography down there after. So. There you go. He's like, here comes that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> here comes that creepy guy with the Lomo. Exactly. All right, Steve, where where are you online? Where can folks find you? Uh, they can find me Twitter slash Steve Simon. And uh, I'll just promote the fact that I will be at Photo Plus Expo, um, sponsored by SanDisk, uh, doing my presentation, The Passionate Photographer, 10 Steps Toward Becoming Great. Uh, it's a three-hour deal um, on the Saturday, October 30th. And then after that, I'm, I'm going to dramatically leave my presentation and head to the airport because I'm, I'm going on a workshop in Egypt, the Mentor Series workshop, nine days. And I'm, Jeez. Uh, it's going to be fun because David Tejada is another mentor and Bill Durrance is another one. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's going to be fun. I've never been to Egypt before, so that'll be kind of exciting. Hey, bring your camera. I hear there's some good shots there. I will do that. That's, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's great. I will. You know, I'm just I'm here to help, my friend. I am here to help. You know what would be cool? If you brought your Lomo. Bring your, bring cool. a Lomo out there and do some Egyptian Lomography. There you okay, go. Okay, I tell you what, I will do that. That right. that is a very good suggestion. By that time I should be able to afford a Diana. And it, it shouldn't add too much weight to your luggage, apparently, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Although I gotta worry about like no, I won't have to worry about X rays. X rays are only gonna add to the coolness of the shots. Exactly. There you go. It's just gonna, you know, <laughs> add add more variables. Perfect. Exactly. All right. And if uh, the listeners are looking to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com, where you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account, and much more. You can also find us on meetup.com. Um, at meetup, just go to meetup.com and search for this week in photo or twip or something and you'll find us join our group. And if you're in the Bay area, you can, uh, join me in person once a month for our meetup groups. And if you're looking to keep up with me personally, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.